Bibles to John chapter 4. I just want to start here this morning. We know the story of the woman at the well. Jesus is dealing with this woman and in the middle of the day, and it was very unusual. The whole scene to us might not look like much, but to people of that day, it must have been really unusual, specifically because the Jews and the Samaritans had nothing to do with each other. They were very segregated in their societies, and then especially for a, a man to be talking to a woman in the middle of the day like this out in public would have also been unusual. But the disciples had gone off. They were in Samaria. The disciples had gone off to look for something, some food. And Jesus had uh, orders from His Father, meet to do the Father's will, and it was to deal with this woman and uh, speak to her about her life and about sin. And I just want to read a couple of Scriptures from this passage. Look at John chapter 4, verse 10, and then we're going to skip down to verse 13. But chapter 10, uh, 4, verse 10 says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of Him, and He would have given thee living water. Alright, now skip down to verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. We're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We started last week talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and Ari Tori uh, said, drink and keep on drinking of the water that Jesus Christ gives and you will fully and forever be satisfied. He says, drink and keep on drinking of the water that Jesus Christ gives and you'll fully and forever be satisfied. Nothing else satisfies us but the Lord. Nothing else satisfies the longing in our heart. As we walk with God, there's nothing else we need more than the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that fullness that God gives of His Spirit. You don't have to turn there. I've quoted this scripture a lot lately, but from John chapter 7, if you're taking notes, 37 through 39. In, that, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that's what he just talked to the woman about. This is the same river. But this spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on Him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. That's a wonderful passage, y'all. Again, I want to try to build things biblically and scripturally and to see that the baptism in the Holy Ghost is biblical. It is for believers. It is for believers in our day. And it's a gift of God. It's a gift. In both those passages, in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well and John 7, Jesus speaking on this great day of the feast, He says, it speaks about the Holy Ghost in this way. Okay, this is a new way that, was, that came at Pentecost, but the Holy Spirit being given. And salvation is a gift, right? Nobody argues that. Well, some might, but true fundamental Christianity understands it's a gift of God. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We understand that that's not even a debate among fundamental uh, Bible-believing Christians. And so salvation is a gift. It's not earned by the Lord. We don't earn it before we're saved. We don't pay God back by obedience or anything like that after we're saved. 
that obedient life is going to be the life of Christ that's produced in us that desires to obey the Lord. Amen? If it's real salvation, there'll be real obedience that'll come from that. But, but it's a gift nonetheless. It's not earned. And same thing for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you read about, in the New Testament especially, it's a gift, a gift, a gift. And a gift is not earned. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross for the sins and He was buried, and He said He descended into the lower parts of the earth, and then He rose again from the dead, and He said He led captive let the captives free. Let captivity captive is how it's worded, but that's what it means. And he says he gave, gave gifts unto men. It is a gift of the Lord. That's, that's, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift of the Lord. And I want to talk about it. We, we started last week, and we're probably going to go, I would think, at least two more weeks on this week and another week and possibly another on maybe the gifts of the Spirit. They have to see how they are to be orderly and, and used in the church and how they're not to be and so forth. We'll probably close with that in a few weeks. But nonetheless, it's a gift from God. And I simply want to talk this morning. We're going to build on this. Who is this gift for? In other words, who can receive the gift? Who can receive this baptism with the Holy Ghost? And it is for, without doubt, it is for believers. The Bible says whom the world cannot receive. I want, to, I want you to read it real quickly. This is too important a scripture for me to, to go by quickly. Turn to John chapter 14. And I, I pray that uh, you would take notes. This is a kind of study. You know, a lot of times it, it may just be a sermon where it's just a thought. But this is going to be a, a teaching slash sermon series on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it would be good to take notes to at least have the scriptures down. Because as I said, I like to build... I like to build a case. I see that with Paul in the Bible, and I see it all through the Bible, that he would, he would make a point. He would start at some very, very uh, fundamental, basic thing, and he would build a case, okay, for Christ or, or for justification by faith or whatever it may be. We're building a case from the Bible for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's legitimate. It's real. It's not some made-up thing. It's not for just a bunch of wacko Christians that are, uh, you know, on the other side of the tracks that handle snakes and drink cyanide and, and say this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's biblical, okay? It's biblical and it's a gift. Like salvation, it is a gift of God. It's not earned. But if you're in John 14, let's just pick up in verse uh, 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will... This is when, before he went to the cross, and obviously before he ascended and before Pentecost. But he says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that is the Holy Ghost, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth is another name for the Holy Spirit of the Comforter, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. We talked about this last week. I don't have time to go back over it all. The Holy Spirit is not new to the New Testament. The Holy Ghost is not new to the day of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost is the eternal spirit. He's, he's, he's eternal part of the Godhead, the deity that we worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has no beginning. He has no end. In the beginning, God... Uh, created the heavens and the earth, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, we talked about this. And in the Old Testament, and I would say all the way up until after the cross, okay, if you look at that as being the Old Testament, even John the Baptist, for example, the Holy Ghost would come upon men. 
we would see that typically. The Holy Ghost would come upon men. We talked about Samson. The Spirit of God began to move him. And he did these great physical feats defeating the Philistines and so forth physically. And, uh, and then the Holy Spirit could depart. He could come and, and depart. And we saw it with uh, Saul, King Saul. And he prophesied when he was young. And then later, he wasn't following God. The Holy Spirit was there nonetheless, but He would come upon men. And even in the day of the disciples when Jesus was talking, the Holy Spirit, He says He's with you, but it says in verse 17, for He dwelleth with you, even at this time, He says He dwells with you, but He shall be in you. I don't believe, according to the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit indwelt men the way He does on this side of the cross. Now, I'm just talking about salvation right now, okay? When somebody's born again, they are born of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? It's, it's, uh, we're born of the Spirit. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, Paul says in Romans, he is none of his. He doesn't belong to the Lord. So, again, don't make the mistake, and I've heard um, Spirit-filled believers sometimes make the mistake of thinking that another Christian that's not baptized in the Holy Spirit somehow doesn't have the Holy Spirit and say, oh, you need the Holy Ghost. You know, uh, that church down there needs the Holy Ghost. And I understand in theory what they mean, but it's really, we ought to speak rightly if we're going to speak. They have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. What they don't have is the gift of the Holy Ghost, that promise that God promised them that He commanded them to wait for, that they received in the fullness of His Spirit at the day of Pentecost. Baptism means to be uh, washed, to be uh, fully covered with fluid. That's the literal definition of baptism. Somebody's saved, and they want the pastor to baptize them. And we've all seen them before, and it's a wonderful thing. And it's representative of their the old man dying, like when you go into the water, being washed in the blood of Jesus, that new man raised in newness of life with Christ. That water didn't do anything to, to give that person eternal life. Their faith, their genuine faith in Jesus did. But it's a symbol of that. So the baptism in the Holy Ghost, the baptizer is Jesus. Just like a minister would be the baptizer of another believer in water. In the Holy Spirit's baptism, which, which we saw first at the day of Pentecost, we're going to look at it in a minute, uh, the baptizer is Jesus. Uh, but we know that because John the Baptist, and there's several places, but we read it last week where John the Baptist was baptizing people in water. And he goes, I indeed baptize you in water for the remission of sins, but he that comes after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Not too many days from now. Not many days from now. And so Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost. The world cannot receive this baptism. You cannot receive, receive the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 17, so the, whole, the Lord is not going to pour out His Spirit upon someone that's rejected Him. He can, it says they cannot. Not that they don't want to. Obviously, they don't want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says they cannot. The world cannot receive this. So a lost man can, a lost person can imitate tongues. And a lost man can imitate that the Spirit of God is coming over them and their hands begin to shake. A, lot of, a magician could do that. A, a, somebody that does seances could do that. You understand what I'm saying? A human being could do that. The devil could mock 
and imitate some of these outward things. But it's not genuine if they're not born again. And so we'll talk about that more when things are done decently and in order. We'll talk about that when we get to the gifts of the Spirit. But the point is the world cannot. Not only will they not or whatever, it's impossible. But I've I've seen people that I'm pretty sure are lost and I've heard them jibber-jabber something that's trying to sound like a tongue or whatever. But y'all, there's going to be a fruit of the Spirit in our lives as well. It's not just a baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus says, we'll know them by their fruits. A good tree is going to bring forth good fruit out of the bun of its heart. He speaks. And a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good fruit. And an evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil fruit. And he says, by, therefore, by their fruit, they'll know them. So it's not just a baptism of the Holy Spirit for power that we think of power and signs and wonders. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit for holiness. For holy life. We're going to get into that in another study. But the world cannot receive, but a believer can receive. It is for born again people. Okay? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for saved people. For born again people who have trusted Christ, washed in the blood of Jesus. Peter said on the day of Pentecost in that famous sermon in Acts chapter 2 when they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and it drew a crowd, <clears throat> excuse me, because of a, la- a large group of people gathered together. They heard him speak in these unknown languages, not unknown languages, in known languages that they knew they didn't know personally, but they were able to speak them. Not just any old thing. They weren't talking about the weather. They weren't talking about themselves. In these unknown, these known languages, they were speaking things that glorified God. And when they, people scratched their head and said, aren't these all local boys from right around here? How are they speaking in all these different languages? The Lord sent His man Peter to stand up and bring clarity to that moment. There was confusion. If you just had gifts going on and signs and wonders, it would be them. You wouldn't know. You know, wow, is it Michael just have this power to do this? And let's all go follow Michael. You know, or whatever we would see. If this church has this... But, but when the man of God stood up under the power of the Holy Spirit and spoke, he brought clarity to it. We're not drunk like y'all suppose. It's only nine in the morning. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He brought scripture to it. He brought sense to it. He brought uh, order to it. And guess what he did? He preached Christ to them. He preached Jesus Christ to them. That's why God did that. And that's why he poured out his spirit like that. You'll be witnesses unto me. And so he preaches. And at the end of that, when the men are so, the, the lost men are so convicted, 3,000 men got saved that day. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter answered and said, Repent and believe, right? And you shall receive the gift. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is just for you and for no others. Is that what he said? For this promise is for you. And for your children, that means like a whole other generation. And for, to many as are far off, and, and as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's pretty encompassing, right? It's for you. It's for your children. It's for all that the Lord our God shall call. It's for those that are far off that aren't here in Jerusalem today. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a lost man cannot receive this gift, but a saved man can. And every saved man can. Now, I want to talk about this for a little while this morning. The Lord intends or has purposed for His people in this church age. We're living in the church age, right? On this side of the cross, this side of the death, the burial, the resurrection, 
the long-awaited Messiah has come. We look back, we read the Gospels about Him, and we're so thankful, and His Spirit has been poured out, and so forth. But in this day and age, the Lord in the church age, He is intended for His people to be a Spirit-filled people. Y'all believe that? It doesn't mean that every Christian is... They all have the Holy Ghost, we've said, in living in them. We're all... Our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, and if you're not. But the Lord intends for His people to be baptized in the Holy Ghost people. I believe that, and I don't see in Scripture where it would be contrary to that. He wills, first of all, for all men to be saved. We know that. He's not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. And, he, and He's made provision for that through what Jesus did on the cross and through faith in Jesus, right? Whosoever can, can come and be born again. And then He wills for every saved man. Somebody that's five years old and gives their life to the Lord. Oh, they're too young to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Well, they weren't too young to get saved. Yeah. D, how old were you when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit? Six years old. Saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. I got saved later in life and baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, maybe four or five years after I got saved. But the point is that He, he desires for every believer to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Look at Acts chapter 1. Now, I always say this, words have meanings, okay? Words have meanings. We don't just say things and say, well, I didn't really mean that. You know, words have meanings, especially the Lord, the living Word of God. It has a meaning to it. And He wants us to know it. And the Holy Ghost gives us that right interpretation. And comparing it to other Scriptures helps us to come to that understanding. Acts chapter 1. Forty days after Jesus rose from the dead and before He ascended to the Father. That's what we're reading right here. So He's still on the earth. After the resurrection, He's getting ready to go up. Literally, just getting ready to go up in this chapter. And it says in verse 4, being assembled together with them, this is out by the Mount of Olives, commanded them. What does that word say, commanded? It means to charge or to command. It means just what you think it would mean. Commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. So God made a promise. The Father made a promise. What was it? Which saith he, ye have heard of me. Here's the promise. He's restating it. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So, he commanded them. He didn't ask them if they thought that would be a good idea. If you feel like hanging around, there's a good little gift I'd like to give you. But if not, it's okay. That's not what he said. Now, I've wondered sometimes before, and I want to be careful not to cross over some sublime, so I'm not. But I've often wondered, is it a sin for a man to be saved and not baptized in the Holy Ghost? I don't want to cross that line and go into it. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin. I do believe that very clearly I can see in Scripture that God's purpose and intent for every saved man, just He wants every lost man to be saved. And he wants every saved man to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I believe that. And we see it right here, commanded them, okay? Jesus, when He was on this earth, remember, He was in existence in eternity past. 
The Word became flesh 2,000 years ago. There was that moment He took on this human form, born of Mary, the Virgin, and didn't have a sinless nature. He, but He was never ceased being God. Don't ever forget this. That even though he, the Word became flesh, He was still God. The Bible says there's a mystery to godliness. It's hard to grasp that. How could He have a body like mine and yet still be God? People could hurt Him and He would bleed. And yet he's still God. I don't know, but the Bible says that. He called himself the Son of God. He called himself the Son of Man. Okay? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, but he didn't stop being the Word. All right? And so on this earth, we saw Jesus for about 30 years of his life live in relative obscurity. We know very little about his life. We know, you know about him leaving and going to Egypt and coming back with his family. And his father was a carpenter, his earthly father, and Mary's mother, and so forth. And he was subject to his parents. And at 12 years old, he was in the temple talking with the, the, the elders in the church. And, and they were amazed at all this knowledge of Scripture. But then we don't see much. He was subject to his parents, it says, and to God and found favor with God and man. But at 30 years old, something really significant happened. When John the Baptist, the pre-runner, the forerunner, said, Behold the Lamb of God. And he points to him as he's walking down to the water. Who takes away the sins of the world. And John's saying, look, you ought to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, in order to fulfill the Scriptures and to fulfill righteousness, this is part of the plan. This is part of the fulfillment. He he goes, I'm submitting to your baptism, John. And so something different happened with Jesus when He was baptized. When He was baptized in the water and came up, it says, lo, the heavens were opened and the the Holy Ghost in the form of a dove. That's what it tells us. Came and descended upon Him and stayed there. And even John testified and said, the one that sent me to baptize told me, whoever you see the Spirit descending and remaining, He's the one. He's the Savior. He's the one that's going to baptize other men or other women and people in the Holy Ghost not too many days from now. So Jesus is the baptizer. And on, on that day, He's still God. But when He went out from there, you know, He went up to the wilderness and was tempted and then He started His public ministry right up to the cross, right up to the resurrection. That last three and a half years was action-packed, okay? And he did what he did under the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Never ceased to be God. Why would he need that power, whatever? I'm not going to answer all that. I'm simply saying he was a Spirit-filled man. He was a Holy Ghost-filled man. And the Bible says, for as he is, so are we in this world. If Jesus needed and showed us a picture of how to live on this earth for God, with God, and do the things that He did. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, as He is, so are we in this world. He lived as a... Never stopped being God. Okay? But He lived as a Spirit-filled man. I believe we see that in the Scripture. He lived as a Spirit-filled man. I just want to read these scriptures real quickly because I think it's, it's wonderful with what we're talking about. I'm going, to, I'm going to be quoting some scriptures from Luke chapter 4. This is after he was baptized, right as soon as he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And it says, And being full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Ghost, speaking of Jesus, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That was a temptation. But the description was that he being full of the Holy Ghost. A few scriptures later, 
He's back in Nazareth. He's back in the synagogue where he grew up, his hometown basically. And he's in the, he's in the uh, synagogue on the Sabbath day. And they handed him the, the, the Old Testament Scriptures. And he opened it up and it was a place where it was. He turned till he found Isaiah 61. And the place that he read said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised. Later in that chapter, it says, uh, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame from him throughout all the region about. He returned in the power of the Spirit. Everywhere you see where it talks about it, he was filled with the Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, He's walking in the power of the Spirit. He's doing miracles by the power of the Spirit. And we're called to be Christ-like as He is. So are we in this world. We're called to be that. And so I honestly believe this, y'all. We're talking about this. That I honestly believe it would have been unthinkable for the early church. I'm talking about Peter and John, that first century church, and those getting saved at that time. For a person to be truly born again, put their faith in Jesus, and then not be baptized in the Holy Spirit <clears throat> afterwards. I think it would have been, they would have been like, I don't, they, they, it would, I think it would have been unthinkable for them. For to lead Patricia to the Lord, Peter or John or somebody, you know, healer like the lame man at the temple, and then not pray with her soon after that she would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because they knew God has this gift. We were commanded not to leave Jerusalem until we were endued with this power from on high. And I just led Rimmel to the Lord, okay, by the temple, you know, say 2,000 years ago. And not going not gonna to tell him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Peter's talked to me about that a lot of times before because we've got witness in the street, witnessing around foxies or whatever. And maybe we get to pray with somebody to give their life to the Lord. But most of the time, I'll be honest, well, a vast majority of the time, I've not prayed for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. We ought to talk to them more about that. But um, I just think it would have been unthinkable for somebody to receive the gift of eternal life and the gift of forgiveness of sins and then not receive the gift of the Holy Ghost in the sense that we're talking about. I know He came to dwell in that new believer but in the fullness that happened on the day of Pentecost um, is a gift from the Lord. I just want to read this quote from, anybody in here heard of William Burton? Willie Burton, they called him. He was a, a missionary uh, from Liverpool, England, and he, he was a missionary to Africa. He served the Lord for 65 years ceaselessly. He didn't stop for 65 years. In 57 of those years, from 1914 to 1971, he was a minister in like the dark jungles of Africa. He was an amazing man. He was a brilliant man. He, uh, he was a botanist, like he knew the plants and everything. And he would teach him as he would go from place to place, bring the gospel. He was an evangelist. He uh, would teach him better ways of farming and things like that to also help him. And he was a calligrapher, which means he made maps. A lot of the maps he made were used by people after him because he was literally going to like the places where these cannibals were and the witch doctors and uh, it was, it was uh, his book I read his book it's filled with like uh, the stories but he said this when they were uh, when they were 
choosing people to go with them, you know, like missionary team to go with them. Like he'd go and come back. But, but he says, I'm going to just read this quote. He said, we would willingly work. They told the Lord, we will willingly work with one person entirely surrendered to God and filled with the Holy Spirit rather than a thousand who powerlessly and blindly follow the scripturalist traditions of men and ignore the simple instruction of the Word of God. He was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just think about it. He needed people. He needed workers. He needed workers, laborers. They were going deep down in there, and it was hard. Okay? And he says we willingly work with one person entirely surrendered to God and filled with the Holy Spirit. Are they rather one person like that than a thousand who may be saved but just kind of walking in church tradition or something like that. He wanted a spirit-filled man out on that mission field. <clears throat> and he's talking about just the importance of it. And again, I think it would have been uh, unthinkable in the early church for man to be saved and not to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We read in Acts chapter 4 where the Lord, I mean 1-4 where He commanded them not to depart. And he says here in Luke 24, this is after the resurrection as well. Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tear ye in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. There's another instruction where he told them, wait, wait. comes to, uh, to waiting. Now I want to look at one of the clearest pictures. If you're ever even wondering in your own mind, okay? And I'm not mocking you if you do. But if you've ever even wondered in your own mind that baptism in the Holy Spirit, is that really real? Don't we get all that at salvation? Isn't that, you know, uh, why would the Lord not give us all that at salvation? One of the clearest in the whole Bible, and I use it all the time, is Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read it. I want you to turn there. Now, in Acts chapter 8, at the beginning, uh, well, what had just happened at the end of verse 7 was Stephen was the first martyr in the Bible. We know about Stephen, right? Stephen was not an apostle. Neither was Philip. They were laymen. And when the church had a little crisis in chapter 6 of Acts, and there was a dispute in the church, and they needed some more laborers to help distribute goods to the people that were the widows and so forth, uh, Peter and the other apostles called the men together and said, men and brethren, it's not meet for us to leave the Word of God and to go serve tables. We're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. But this is a legitimate concern in the church. Look you out seven men. And what were their requirements? Do you all know? Seven men full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, and full of wisdom. Doesn't just say saved men. Full of faith, filled with the Holy Ghost, and filled with wisdom. And they chose Stephen. That's the first one mentioned. A man filled with the Holy Ghost, it says, and with wisdom. They also chose, and he was the first martyr in the Bible. So that was chapter 6 where we read about his calling and his position in the church. Chapter 7, he's martyred. Okay? And Philip was also one. Philip the evangelist. He was one. He had to have been filled with the Holy Ghost and faith and, and, uh, and wisdom. And so we read about Philip here. After Stephen's martyred, then Saul, who was, this has later become Paul, Saul of Tarsus, is bringing great persecution upon the church. And let's pick up in uh, chapter... 8, verse 3 and 4. Saul made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. 
Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. This is what they did. The true believers went preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. The result of it all was salvation, and the result of the salvation was joy. They're being born again. All right? So remember, we, talk, we opened with Jesus going to a Samaritan woman. Now we see Philip, the evangelist, going to Samaria. The Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with each other, but the Lord wanted them all to be saved. And he told them, uh, his disciples, you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You will be witnesses unto me, living martyrs, back unto the Lord, which other people will notice. That's the witness. I don't just witness to Alberto. I, I am a witness unto the Lord. And Alberto sees it. And the lost people around Foxy see it. You understand what I mean? And so, you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're seeing this played out right here. What was his message? He preached the word. His message to lost people was not, can I tell you all how to talk in tongues? And come down here to the Samaritans and tell you how to talk in tongues. And to be healers. God gives those gifts. I'm not mocking them. The message was Christ. The message was, he says he preached the word to them. He preached Christ to them. And in verse 6, the people with one accord gave, accord gave heed. In other words, they listened. They pulled up a chair. They sat down and said, this really is something. This is amazing. What, what brought not, not only the message, but it says they saw and heard the miracles which he did. And I believe this was by the power of the Holy Spirit. So they're seeing, hearing miracles, and they're hearing the gospel preached. And they gave heed. And they believed. And they, this was salvation type of faith. They believed, and they were, they were saved, and the result was great joy. Okay? I'm going to read a little bit further. Now, let's skip down to verse 12. Now I'm going to get into the case about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, so they did, right? They believed. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And so what happens? They're water baptized, right? A whole group of people. I don't know how many people. I have no clue. But let's say there was 500 people. They say, we believe. We believe. We believe. I want to I'll surrender to this gospel, to this Christ. He's the Lord. I give my life to Him. They were saved. And so they start this process of baptizing believers in water. It says they believed in the name of Jesus, the things concerning God and His kingdom and so forth. So, so we see a picture of saved, water baptized, right? All in this one chapter. Alright, here comes the real key to it. Verse four, 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received what? The Word of God. They received the Word of God. That's how they were saved. The Bible says we're born by the incorruptible Word of God. So they were born again. They sent unto them Peter and John. So here's the deal. They hear about it. Philip had just been led by the Lord and just went there. Okay? Peter and John and the others back in Jerusalem in the church, they hear about it and they say, wow, those people are getting saved down there. The Samaritans are getting saved. This is important that we get down there right away. 
So when they heard it, sent unto them Peter and John, verse 15, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might, what? Receive salvation? Receive forgiveness? Receive the Word of God? No. They came that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet He was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now to me, if I didn't have anything else in the Bible and just had this, it would be clear enough to me. In other words, that to me is so clear. I could argue it, and I have. I've sat with people more than once in my lifetime who didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't believe it was for today and so forth. And I would look at a scripture, and we receive all that as salvation and so forth. There's no argument against that. They received the Word of God and believed. They were baptized in the name of Jesus in water. When they heard in Jerusalem that they were saved and received the Word of God, they got down there that they might receive the Holy Ghost. So they're saying, Peter and John, evidently it was very important to them and to that church in Jerusalem. It wasn't just like, oh, well, if they ever get the Holy Ghost, that's great. Somebody will tell them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I picture in my mind that they hurried down there to Samaria or over there. I don't know how it lays out geographically. But they heard that the people were getting saved and they go, they got some new believers there. And it was important to them to get there, that they would pray and receive for it. And when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. As of yet, He was fallen on none of them. But they were baptized. Philip wouldn't have baptized them if they weren't born again. But they were saved. If they'd have died, they'd gone to heaven. They could have gone and told somebody about Jesus. But Jesus wanted them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. God intends for His people to be a Spirit-filled people. They're, if somebody's not baptized in the Holy Ghost, they're no less of a Christian than you are or than I am. I'm not to ridicule, to mock, to belittle, to demean at all. That should never enter my mind. The only thing is, God has something for them they haven't received yet. And, and I ought to be the one to tell them about it. And that they would receive this gift as well. Remember what Willie Burton said, I'd rather work with one spirit-filled than a thousand that aren't. And so they saw, the, they saw that it was important to the apostles because it was important to the Lord. Okay? that they be endued with power from on high. And I will say this, and this is pretty much what our, our message is about today. I think many in the church world today, I, I, don't, I don't think you would argue with me, have made in their minds the baptism of the Holy Spirit as optional. They've made the baptism in the Holy Spirit as good for this denomination and this denomination, but for this denomination and this, we don't really do that, and that's not for us, and it's more like a take it or leave it kind of thing. But if you went to the Bible and just read the Bible, what Jesus commanded His disciples in the Gospel of John and in Luke and in Acts chapter 1 and then the fulfillment on in Acts chapter 2 of the, the promise being fulfilled and then subsequently those believers going out bringing Christ to other people that didn't know the Lord. You'll see it time and time again. It was important. It was important. Very important. And I think that the devil has a pretty clever, that's a pretty good victory. I know we ultimately, ultimately Satan's not triumphing, but I mean, that's a pretty good victory for Satan if he can take the church of the living God. I'm talking about truly saved people, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal, if they're individually born again, to take a group of people on the planet, 
that are born again by the blood of Jesus will go into heaven one day when we die and to keep them from receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty because of our own intellect sometimes. I'll tell you the truth. My own mind can be my biggest problem sometimes. And I've talked to people about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've talked to people about salvation. They were lost. They were very intelligent. And if I named some, you would know them. And you probably have talked to some as well. And I've said, you're outsmarting yourself. You know what I mean? You're, you're being too smart for your own good. Just look at what the Scriptures say. Just look at it. Just like a little child, look at it. And that's how I looked at that in Acts chapter 8. Preach the Word. God saved. Got water baptized. Then got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's all there in about 15, 17 verses. And so we see that repeated over and over. But I think a lot of times, y'all, what are some of the reasons that people may not, they may be saved in our day, for example, born again and not baptized in the Holy Spirit? You might add to my list, but I've just had some general things. They might simply be ignorant of it. In other words, let's say that Liz went, goes to a church where all of her life she grew up in that church and they never preached that. She just never heard it. It wasn't talked against. It wasn't talked for. It just wasn't brought out. It's not in her doctrinal statement. And she might read through the book of Acts herself and come to some understanding. But on her own, I mean, in the church, it's just not taught. So she just might be ignorant of it. Again, not necessarily sinful. This is not an excuse, but I'm just saying it's, they're just ignorant of it. So you could, just like I talked about my friend, I brought the gospel to him and he got saved. We could bring these scriptures to Liz, who really loves the Lord, and talk to her about it. And she could say, wow. My pastor never told me that, but I see it. And she could pray for and receive, right? So some people are just ignorant. Some people might just be indifferent. They've heard a little bit about it, and but they're kind of content with, with their walk with God. You know, and to them, they think of uh, spirit-filled people. That's for missionaries. That's for those real diehards that are out there, the Bible thumpers. And I'm just kind of content with my walk where it is. And so they're indifferent, kind of cold to the idea. And y'all, there's some that uh, I would say much worse than that, and that would be someone that blasphemes the Holy Ghost. Have you ever heard somebody do that? I know Dee told me about a pastor a long time ago when before we were married that she heard that actually in the pulpit of the church they were attending like said that it was of the devil. Like the baptism of the Holy Spirit is of the devil. It's demonic. They got up and walked out uh, of the church. That's different. That's a whole other deal. Okay, then if a pastor just he doesn't know much about it, he knows about Jesus and the blood and the rapture, and he talks about all that all of his life, and he never talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he'll have to answer to God for that. But he's not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When somebody does that, y'all, it's different, and and that's something our fellow we would not fellowship if somebody just if they're not baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's one thing. If they're blaspheming, and I want you to look at a couple of scriptures. I want to look at probably a very clear passage. Turn to Matthew 12. We're going to read a good bit of this, uh, this passage today. It's a gift from God, and it's a gift for us today. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. We'll read 22 through 28. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw and all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, now listen to what they said. They said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. 
It was literally a pagan god. This was they're saying he basically he's casting out the devil by this demon god, this dung god, dung like manure. Okay, uh, anybody ever read the book The Lord of the Flies? That's a weird book. Anybody ever heard of it or read it in high school? Okay, I think that's the same name. The Lord of the Flies was like this bales above this dung dung god. Okay, so listen, he just cast demons out of a man. And he could now he wasn't blind anymore. He could see, and he wasn't he wasn't dumb anymore. He could speak. He just did this miracle, and the the Pharisee says he's casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub, and the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out the devils, out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, and that's what he was doing, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, unto you. And then we'll skip down to uh, two more verses, 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever shall speak of the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the world to come. That's serious, y'all. So we're talking about why are some people not baptized in the Holy Ghost. Some are ignorant. Some are indifferent. They just haven't been taught. They might think it passed away. We'll look at that in just a moment. But some blaspheme the Holy Ghost. And that's serious. Don't do that. And don't ridicule and make jokes and, and, and things like that. The blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, the best time, have you ever heard that before? It's like well, every sin can be forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible says. That's what it says right here. He said every sin that men commit will be forgiven. But whosoever blasphemes the Holy Ghost... And it's in the context of what we just read. Here's the, here's the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, the way I understand it in the books that I've read, okay? Is that blaspheming the Holy Ghost is not just saying some curse word against the Holy Spirit. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is accrediting to Satan the work of God. <coughs> crediting, accrediting to Satan the work of God. So here's somebody that the Lord has saved and and they're so overwhelmed by the forgiveness of God, like, like Mary pouring the ointment over Jesus, right? Breaking the alabaster box, worshiping the Lord. And somebody's saying, that's of the devil. They're crying like that. that and where maybe she's overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? In this sense, it was healings and demons being cast out. But that, that's, I believe, from all that my study and I've done, if we want to define... That's the best definition I, I can latch hold on. It's accrediting to Satan the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is given to convict men of sin. Holy Spirit is, uh, doesn't speak of Himself. He glorifies Jesus Christ. So if I'm saying, no, that's of the devil, you understand the seriousness of that when you really start looking at it. And the last, the last uh, point I wanted to make this morning about and then we're gonna. We're, I got a, a wonderful illustration I want to give before we close. Why are men today not bat, Christians 
not seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit and receiving. So, so many are not. Many are, praise God. They believe that it's ceased. Have you all heard that argument before, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. They are cessationalist is one of the words that's used. And it simply means that it passed away. It served its purpose. We read about it in the book of Acts. But basically when the apostles died out, when that first generation died out, um, that those gifts were no longer for the church, no longer real and valid for today. I do not see that anywhere in the Bible. I do not. The book of Acts ended, and what I love about the end of the book of Acts is it's not a proper ending like other epistles where it says, I salute you, and I wrote this letter with my own hand until I see you again, farewell, and things like that. The book of Acts just ended, open-ended, and I've taught this in our high school Sunday school class over the years when we've taught in the book of Acts. Why did it end that way? Because we're living in that day and age. Because it didn't end with the apostles. Because we're living in the church age. And Jesus, my theme for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, my theme that helps me, is John 14, 12. He that believeth in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than me shall he do, because I go to my Father. And he goes on to say, if I go to my Father, I'm going to send the Comforter. And so we read in the book of Acts, the miracles, and the Gospels, and the revivals, and the salvations, and all the things that are taking place, and the persecution, all that's going on, and churches being planted and started, all in the name of Jesus by spirit-filled believers. And it keeps going. Keeps going with men like Willie Burton that we, we mentioned a little while ago. God is, is continuing to do that work. But people say it ceased. And here's the scripture that they use for that. This is the last real uh, topic that we're going to look at this morning. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. I like to look at what's argument that a cessationist would have so I can study it. I want to look at it honestly and see is that really what's being taught? Are they right about that? Well, no, they're not right about that. Right, this is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to read 8 through 10. This is a passage that a Christian would use who, does, who believes that the gifts have ceased and the baptism is not for today. Verse 8, Charity never fails, for whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, here's what they use, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. All this is true. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So there's their argument. It says right here, tongues are going to cease. Two questions for them based on that. It does say that tongues are going to cease. First of all, when is that? Okay, when are they going to cease? And second of all, I would say in, in uh, verse 10, I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 8, it says that knowledge is going to fail. It says that prophecies are going to vanish away and knowledge is going to vanish away and fail. And I would say to them, and I've had said it to them, you say that tongues are going to cease, but do you believe that knowledge, you think it's already passed away, the tongues, it's not for today, but do you believe that knowledge has vanished away? Well, no, I don't believe that. That's spiritual knowledge, just revelation knowledge of the things of God. No, I don't believe that. So there's an inconsistency there. We think the tongues have passed away, but the prophecies and the knowledge are still active today. So that's not, to me, doesn't they're just singling out one word there. Second, I would say, and we would all ask, when is that going to take place? Has it taken place? Is it still future? When are these things going to pass away? 
And he says, now, if we know in part, verse 9, we prophesy in part, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So there's something coming that when those other things will be put away. I believe that it is the coming of the Lord. I believe it's the return of the Lord. Think about it this way. If we're all raptured today and we're in heaven, all the whole church is raptured, on the whole planet, China, India, everywhere, we're gone. Only lost people here. And we're up in heaven with the Lord. Is there going to be a need for us to have healings, the power of gift of healing, or the gift of discerning of spirits, or the gift of miracles? You understand what I'm saying? In other words, when we see the Lord, and the Bible says when we see Him, we'll be like Him. We'll see Him as He is. These things are given for a purpose. We'll study that more in the weeks ahead, the gifts and all. But when we're with the Lord, there won't be a need for those. All the, all the, the shadowy kind of pictures you've got of God and the things that are unanswered, and there's plenty of things like that in our lives, all the blanks are going to be filled in. The bright light's going to be on, and we'll know Him even as we're known. And all the questions that we've had are going to be answered, or they won't matter anymore, one of the two. We're just going to know Him like we're known of Him. The Bible says that. So these gifts that are serving their purpose now on the earth won't be needed then. So I believe, it says, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away with. The prophecies, the knowledge, the gifts of the Spirit, the tongues, that'll be done away with. A cessationalist has said, believes that that which is perfect, when that's come, these gifts will be done away. They just said that's the Bible. When you get the complete Bible, all 66 books of the Bible, we have the Bible now, so there's no need for these gifts anymore. I don't see that. I don't think that holds water, so to speak, that argument, I don't believe that. I don't read anywhere in the Bible where the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for today. It stopped. It stopped right here, very clearly. This is over. We read about the death, the burial, the resurrection, the third day. We read about the day of Pentecost. We hear Peter say, this promise is for you, for your children. There are many that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's for you. That's who it's for. And I just want to, to, to close with that thought. And, and I want to read uh, an, a scripture here. Uh-oh. Uh, this is again by Willie Burton, okay, this, this missionary. I'm closing with this. And I just want you where you are just to listen. And this is how we're closing this morning. And then to begin to prepare your hearts, you know if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit or not, okay? You have to be born again, first of all. And then you have to pray for and receive by faith. But if you're not born, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, this gift is for you. It's a gift. It's not a punishment. It's a gift, like eternal life. And God wants you to have it. And the Bible says, "No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly." Every good gift, every perfect gift, is from God. He gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. He wants to give it for His glory. Okay. And for your own life and your own walk with God, it's a wonderful gift. So be thinking as I read this. I just want to talk about it. So often we think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We often just think about the, the miracles, you know, the big making the lame man walk or something like that. And that's part of it. But here's what Will, William Burton shared. He goes, we, and this is missionary team, we've often grieved over the hidden bickerings and smolderings uh, among our young Christians. He named some of the tribes here, the Bakelbi tribe 
and the Baluva tribe, both against the Angola free slaves. Uh, and even the Angola free slaves had two different groups and they argued amongst themselves. So this is the people he's ministering to, witch doctors and all that. And then they would get saved. But even between these different tribes and groups, they would still be bickering going on. That sound familiar? I mean, churches can, can do that. People can do that. That are genuinely saved on both sides. And it says, uh, they were divided into two camps, each part considering itself better than the others. The two chief causes of this strife, and he, he's gonna, he gives them initials, he doesn't give them names, but there was like these Angola tribe in Africa, split into two tribes. They were Christians, but they still separated themselves from each other. And one's chief name, he says, was S. He's given the initial and one W. They lived near each other, and uh, there was cause of strife between them. And outwardly, they were friendly. The grudges in their hearts were there nonetheless. Says, All right, so we've got a picture of it. All Christians. Well, S, this leader of this one tribe, one night he humbled himself, and he was mightily filled with the Holy Spirit. Early in some of their evangelistic meetings, this chief got filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Whereupon W, this chief of the other tribe, it says, he gave up praying for this great blessing and began to mock the other group. Since he had prayed for and not received himself, he thought it was a bunch of hogwash, and so he started to mock this other chief and this other group that had received. This is real life things that, that took place. He said, it must be a hoax since I've prayed for and haven't received. And uh, Willie Burton says, I, I called him aside, this, this man who hadn't received, and tried to help him as often as I could, and everywhere I could, but I couldn't help him. And so my wife and I just began to pray. And it says, one night before long, uh, while we were praying, the power came down. W, this chief, was mightily filled with the Holy Spirit, because this, this other man, this chief, that they were enemies. This one that had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit went to him secretly in the middle of the night. He said, I don't want to talk to you, brother. And he crossed the bridge, so to speak. And he went over and humbled himself and went to talk to him. And just the two of them were out there praying. These two powerful men, these two chiefs, they were standing out there. And, and W, it says, received. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell upon him mightily. He starts praying in tongues. They're out there under the stars. It gets really loud. It wakes up everybody in their little huts. You go out and see what was going on out there. They're praying. They're having a Holy Ghost revival out in the middle of the camp. And it says, and the Holy Spirit fell upon all these tribes, people. And uh, it says, many were filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, all these Christians came running to see what was going on and what was happening. It, was, it began a time of thanksgiving. They began to praise God. And uh, these two, they were antagonists before. They're hugging each other. They're crying and they're magnifying God in these new tongues. And he makes the point that the experience of Pentecost in Jerusalem that we read, read about in Acts chapter 2 had come to what he calls Luba land. That was the, the tribe, the area where, where he was. And so, y'all, it's not just about the, the lame man being able to walk or speaking in a tongue. And next week I want to talk about what's the purpose of We've talked about it's for us. It hasn't passed away. It's for all believers. It's subsequent to salvation, not before salvation. We've talked about all that. And I want us to talk next week about who, what's the purpose of it and what's the, not the purpose of it. 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I wanted to close with that example because it touched my heart. I remember reading that book years ago and um, on Willie Burton. I've got it if anybody wants to borrow it. It's a wonderful book. But I want to close right now. And so, Dee, you can come, begin to play. And I want you, if you would, to just stand. The altars are open. But if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, this promise is for you. It's not for somebody else if you're born again. If you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and maybe you haven't been filled with a fresh new filling in a long time, or maybe you've even been ashamed of the, of, you know, praying in your prayer language or something like that, or telling others that you're a Spirit-filled believer, ask God to just touch your heart. This is a gift for you, y'all. It's important to the Lord. And it, it ought to be important to us. So the altars are open right now as they begin to play and sing. And Father, we just come before you in the mighty name of Jesus, God. You are, your word says, the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. You baptize men, the Holy Ghost, and with fire. Believers, it's a gift from God. Lord, why would we want the gift of salvation and eternal life and not want the gift that you give afterwards, say? Why would we want to to receive forgiveness through the blood of Jesus and not receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, God. You, t- you told your disciples, you tarry, you wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And Lord, teach us to wait. Help us to stand in faith or to kneel or bow in faith, God, before you. For whatever reason, whether we believe the cessationist argument, whether we believe it's not for today, whether we just didn't know much about it. Lord, I pray that by the Word of God and by the revelation knowledge of the Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes. We want to be a Spirit-filled church here. I want to be a Spirit-filled believer, and you want for us to be a Spirit-filled church. God, would you part your Spirit upon us, Father? Help us, Lord.